0: Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Behalotcha. When You Set Up. The address is Bemidbar, Numbers, chapter 8, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 16. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher, Ariel Ben-Lyman. The written commentary was updated on May the 28th of 2007. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, jewish new testament publications incorporated unless otherwise noted let's begin with the opening blessing for the torah baruch adonai eloheinu melech haolam asher bachar banu Kol haamim venatan lanu et torah to baruch adonai No ha HaTorah amen blessed are you o lord our god king of the universe you have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. A um, a short commandment, a short mitzvah detailing some of the maintenance of the menorah, the lampstand, found in the holy place, opens up this portion called Beha Lotcha. I'll just say, I know that's a meaty phrase. If you just break it down along its syllable uh, lines and it'll be a little easier to say, ha, a. Lot ha. see how easy that is. Now I want to study the menorah in much detail, since it historically remains one of the most easily recognized symbols used in Judaism today. As such, it has um, the menorah has actually become the national symbol of the state of Israel in conjunction with, of course, the Magin David, the, uh, the the Star of David. Let's move on into our parashah. Now, this lamp, if you will remember from parashat Tetzaveh, where it was um, being, the instructions were given to actually put it together. Um, It was formed from a solid piece of pure gold. It is believed that this lamp weighed as much as 60 pounds. 60 pounds. This was no light structure. Pardon the pun. (laughs) Uh, The instructions here in Numbers give us a clue as to the specific facing of the, the, ver- the menorah, the very first few uh, verses. Much of what we know about the lampstand has already been detailed for us in past parashot. And so what I want to do is I want to draw upon past commentaries as the need arises, pulling information out of stuff I've already written. Finally, I shall take a look into the somewhat mysterious world of Sud. That is to say, hidden meanings and word pictures behind the Hebrew text, uh, and they're sometimes called Bible codes. Um, they make use of the the... the Equidistant letter spacing, or e let's the equid E D L S. Equidistant letter spacing. Um, we're going to look at that today in this week's commentary. Um, but first, let's just go into the plane. Let's just go look at what the text says before we go into um, any hidden th- things. In fact, let's go with the p- shot first, and then maybe I'll make a mid-rush off of that. Okay. This first section is entitled "The Light." and the light type and shadow and there's obviously a play on words there the first word light is is small letter l the small l i g h t and the capital l i g h t and then let's talk about type and shadow and of course play on words is with light and shadow you know the menorah easily symbolizes the messiah it, it it's and it's not too hard to see so how am i going to utilize the menorah In my midrash on the Messiah well if you'll recall Yeshua stated that he is the light of the world and of course he wasn't lying this is in fact a most glorious truth as we understand our relationship to Yeshua and his relationship to the Father he is the light of the world and if we want our lights to shine we must have Yeshua within us so he is the light of the world And he is the light within each one of us. Now the menorah, the root word being ner, which means lamp. That's where we get the word menorah. The root word ner means lamp. And it provides a glorious eternal light to the priests um, who ministered within the holy place. Keep in mind, this is obviously way before the days of electricity. So um, once they got behind closed veils, not closed door, but closed veils. Remember, there's a veil separating... um, you know, people could not just walk in and go in and, uh, into the holy place and into the holy of holies. There were veils that separated these compartments, and um, since these rooms were sealed, then it was dark in there. Um, so the menorah provided the light. Now, pre previous parashot described the menorah as having seven. Lamps, and that it's important for my next study because those of you who are familiar with a menorah and have seen a candelabra or, or, or such that has nine branches to it, well, then what you're looking at is a Hanukkah. And a Hanukkah is a lamp designed for Hanukkah. So there are going to be nine branches there. But the biblical menorah only had seven branches. Okay? Big difference. The number seven, if you are... Um, if you'll recollect in the Torah, usually signifies perfection or completeness or something to that degree. If the menorah is a symbol of our perfect Messiah, and it is, he is the light of the world and it was the light for the priests, then where in the Torah can we find a correlation to the number seven? Now, of course, that's a kind of an open-ended question. You can find sevens all over the place. But I'd like to take a look at a familiar passage in Yeshayahu in the book of Isaiah, for this particular exercise. Again, there are sevens all over the place, but in relationship to the Yeshua, and mentioning uh, Messiah, or could I say a Messianic um, passage, I'm going to utilize Yeshayahu. Now in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 of Yeshayahu, we're given a vivid description of the coming Messiah. Now, what's really neat about this particular passage for our study today is that all rabbinical sources, as well as Christian scholars, agree that this particular passage is a prophecy concerning a long-awaited Savior. You remember, Judaism still awaits a Messiah. Christianity has accepted the Messiah who has come already. Now, the prophecy in Isaiah is, of course, going to point towards the true Messiah and both groups, both Christian and Judaism, Christians and Jews are both going to claim that this is the um, true Messiah that it's pointing towards well we already know, or we affirm I should say, that Yeshua is the long awaited Messiah, therefore as we read this passage we have a right to put Yeshua into the passage Uh, the branch of Yeshai in um, Isaiah is a reference to his bloodline, if you recall, the branch of Jesse. Now, Jesse was David's father. Um, Yishai is his Hebrew name. And David, or David the king, is the um, is the messianic figure. Now, David is not only a messianic figure, because every king and every priest was an, an, a Mashiach. Keep in mind that the word Mashiach means anointed one. Um... And the uh, idea of anointing was um, the oil being poured down the he- on the head, running you know the oil running down the face, down the beard of the one being anointed. And so a king was an anointed one, and a priest was an anointed one. Therefore, they were Mashiach in that sense. They were a Mashiach. They were a type of Mashiach. However, in the Isaiah passage, um, in Isaiah eleven one through five, what we want to look at for this exercise is the branch of Yeshai. Um, being the father of David the king. And it's a well-known fact that the Messiah was born from David's loins, or according to the Isaiah uh, prophecy, was to be born of Davidic lineage. Even Judaism today recognizes this fact, that the um, Messiah is to be a son of David. So, let's look at the passage and find out how the Torah describes him. Let's turn to... um, uh Yeshiyahu eleven and let's read um verse two. Actually you know what I want to do first? Let me open up my Bible and I read wanna read Isaiah eleven one through five and then single out the Pasik for our study. So let me turn here. Okay, here we are. Uh Isaiah eleven and let's start in verse one. This is David Stern's version. But a branch will emerge from the trunk of Yishai. A shoot will grow from his roots. The spirit of Adonai will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. He will be inspired by fearing Adonai. He will not judge by what he, what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But he will judge the impoverished justly. He will decide fairly for the humble of the land. He will strike the land with a rod from his mouth and slay the wicked with a breath from his lips. Justice will be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the sash around his hips. That's verses 1-5. through five. Let's now single out verse 2. Again, look at that one. The spirit of Adonai will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. He will be inspired by fearing Adonai. End quote. Now, if you look at the passage, and it's probably helpful at this point that you have my written notes. We're in the uh, near the top of page 2. Or if you don't, just turn to your own Bible, to um, Isaiah 11, verse 2. As can be observed by my emphasis, what I did is in the uh, quoting of the first two, I underlined um, certain phrases. You can see in my emphasis that the Spirit is referred to seven times, and in an orderly fashion. So let's go back and count them. Number one, the Spirit of Adonai. And then we have, paired up together, we have number two and three, the Spirit of Wisdom and Understanding. 4 and 5, we have the spirit of counsel and power. 6 and 7, we have the spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. Are you seeing that with me so far? You have the spirit of Adonai, number 1. and Then 2 and 3, we have wisdom, understanding. 4 and 5, we have counsel and power. 6 and 7, we have spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. Now, I believe very firmly, and I'm not alone in in saying this, that this is not an arbitrary use of words coined by the Navi, by the prophet Isaiah. He wasn't merely um, manufacturing this uh, statement out of his own um, human psyche. Rather, I believe Yeshayahu was writing under the direct inspiration of the very spirit that he was speaking about. Now, of course, that's true of all of his words that have been preserved for us in the book bearing his name, I'm not saying that any part of the book was was uh, is uninspired. Don't don't get me wrong. What I mean is, as the Navi writes, I believe that God utilizes the the um, the intellect and the character, as it were, of the people that He allows to write His books and His verses and His chapters and, and the uh, the letters that we have uh, put together for us in our Bibles. So God works through their knowledge of current events, knowledge of Scripture, knowledge of um, maybe a practice or a trade, you know, a, a craft or or something that that they're able to do. You know, if they were herdsmen, God works through that knowledge. If they're a tanner, a leather maker, like like um, Peter, then He works through that. Or as in Paul's case, he was a learned man, and Paul and God worked through that. So I don't believe that everything that Isaiah wrote, wrote was just written like in um, in a trance, where Isaiah is disconnected from what he's writing. However, there are times, I believe, when the Spirit specifically guides the pen of the person writing, and in that um, guidance, the exact wording comes out the way God wants it, and I believe that this is one of those cases. Now, the Torah frequently employs the use of word pictures. This is one of its e- more easily recognized teaching tools. It, it it puts together a picture for us using words. These are usually phrases and words coined for the explicit purpose of calling the reader's attention, or in their case the listener, to a certain truth of the understanding of Hashem and its purposes among mankind. God wants to teach us very many important things sometimes it's mere narrative sometimes it's just prose other times it's just poetry other times it's it's uh, uh, you know like it's teaching it's didactic it can be um, case law or whatever um, we might find but at any rate God specializes in um, painting pictures using actions. for example, when the Torah uses the word anoint, like we find in plenty of passages, especially where we're reading about priests or we're reading about kings, when it uses the word anoint, the picture that is painted, okay, you've got to get this in your mind when you hear the word anoint, the picture that's painted is one of a horn of oil, and it's presumably olive oil because that was uh, widely used, and it still is today for anointing purposes. Olive oil is being poured Out of the horn and the oil it is poured and it's not just dabbed on it's not just just maybe um um lightly uh uh, sprinkled upon or whatever but it's it's rather um poured out and down upon an individual that's what anoint uh that's the picture that's being painted now in the case of the high priest of uh, uh let's say Aharon right um the Torah describes the oil, and, and, it, and it does say this in Exodus 29.7. You can look it up to see. The Torah describes the oil as being poured upon his head as an anointing. And in our Haftarah, you can see Zechariah 2, verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 7. That's where our Haftarah parks its passage. We again read of this anointing property of oil and the Spirit. To anoint someone is to to commission them for service to the Lord. And the oil is representative of the Spirit's power coming to rest down and and upon the individual, uh, empowering them to to maintain the office, as it were, that they are being called into. Now, as I see this picture, picture this with me. Those of you who have witnessed this before, just follow along with me, okay? You've got a man, let's say we've got Aharon, okay? And let's picture him like we would normally like to see um, uh, a Near Eastern man in, of, of Aharon's age. Keep in mind he's 80 years old, you know, he's 80 plus years old, right? So he's probably got a, a, a long, thick beard. Uh, those men, who, those of you who are listening to my podcast who have. Uh, thick beards you can relate or those women listening to my podcast who happen to like men who wear beards well then you can relate as well uh, but anyway we've got this this, this Middle Eastern man um, uh, and he's got a thick, long thick beard and I'm not sure what color it is but uh, and he's got his hair and let's say it's Moshe who's pouring the oil over his head right the horn is full of this oil. and Moshe starts pouring slowly at the top of his head and as he pours the oil goes down his hair down the sides it starts coming down his forehead it's, it's running down his face it's now running down into his beard. I can see it running down his face into his beard. It's down on his shoulders now and Moshe ain't stopping Moshe is pouring. He's pouring the oil is going down Moshe is doing what? He's not just wasting oil people He's making sure of the God-given instructions. God said to anoint your brother. Anoint him with oil, and the oil is is a picture. It's a, it's a it's a it's a shadow of the spirit. It's a representation of the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of Adonai is is coming to rest upon Aharon, so that Aharon can walk into the office of Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, and the oil. Is some people might say the oil is the conduit of the spirit. I wouldn't put it past him. The spirit can use that, even as today, when during ministry times at churches, at synagogues, um, when ministers are are known to reach for oil and use it, some type of a of an olive oil or something like that. They reach for the oil and they they rub it on their hands and then they and then they they touch the person that they're ministering to. Perhaps it's healing. Perhaps it's deliverance ministry. The oil is like a conduit of the Spirit of God. Can you heal without the oil? Absolutely. Can you anoint someone without oil? Well, it would be kind of hard, because uh, it would be like trying to be baptized without water. Um, the point is, the Torah says to use oil. We are um, we're obedient to the commandment. We use the oil. So, the Torah is explicitly teaching us, again, that the office of Kohen HaGadol, of high priest, cannot function properly without the supernatural anointing from the Holy Spirit, the real Kakodesh. It's an impossibility. Aaron was not to operate under his own power, and God instructed Moshe to anoint him. All Moshe had to do was be obedient to the command and pour the oil, and believe by faith that God would do the rest. And sure enough, God anointed Aharon. Now we know again also from the book of Hebrews that Yeshua is our great Kohen Gadol. He is our high priest in heaven. As such, he is not going to deviate from the type and the shadow and the pattern and the paradigm set forth in the Torah. What is he going to do as a high priest? He's going to do exactly what he instructed the earthly priests to do. He would need to walk in this very anointing in order to fulfill his earthly ministry. He was a man, but he was God. And as a man, he set aside his privileges as God and he walked as a man. Which means he demonstrated for you and I, listening to the podcast today, reading my commentaries, all who name the name of Yeshua, he demonstrated for us what it means to walk in the anointing of the Spirit of God. We must imitate Yeshua. As He walked in the anointing, we must walk in the anointing. What does the Torah say of Him? In Luke chapter 4, verses 16-18a. through 18a. Let's read it here, okay? It relates to our passage in Yeshiyahu. You're going to like this. Quote, Now when He went to Natseret, where He had been brought up, on Shabbat He went into the synagogue as usual, he stood up to read, and he was given the scroll of the prophet Yeshayahu. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of Adonai is upon me. End quote. Now, if you go on and read the passage in Luke, the verse actually goes on to quote another passage found much farther into the scroll of Isaiah. In fact, it actually quotes from 61 verses 1 through 2. Um, and then it pulls a little part out of uh, fifty-eight, verse sixteen. Yet, if you'll notice, when you look at Yeshua's statement, okay, he unrolls the scroll, he finds a place, and he starts by announcing that quote, the spirit of Adonai is upon him, or upon me. Now, when I compare the Masoretic Hebrew text of the Isaiah passage to the Greek Septuagint of the same passage, I actually find an occasion for a wonderful Midrash. You guys ready for this? I think you're going to like it, okay? Let's start with the LXX, which is the Septuagint. Remember, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the original Hebrew. It was commissioned by 70 or possibly 72 um, Torah scholars or rabbis or or scribes, as it were, to um, translate into the into the common language, Koine Greek was the common language of Yeshua's day among Jewish people in the diaspora, in the uh, the, the outlying areas, the non-Israel uh, uh, areas. Greek was a common language. So, in order to get the Bible into the language of the people, they and this happened 250 years before Yeshua had seen. By the way, um, the uh, also the king of Egypt, Alexandria. Um, he uh, uh, Alexandria was the city. He wanted a copy of the Holy Book in his own language, and and so he commissioned them to to put together an official translation, and thus the Septuagint was born. At any rate, it was widely utilized in the first century Judaism's um, to include Yeshua's day and Yeshua himself is reading from the LXX, the, the Septuagint. So let's read from the LXX, and I'm going to provide for you a translation that is available online. Look at my footnote on the bottom of page 3, uh, http uh, colon forward slash ecmarsh.com, and then um, uh, go from there, uh, or just do a Google search for online Septuagint and I'm sure you'll be able to find one. Let's read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. He has sent me to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of recompense, to comfort all that mourn. And now let's jump over to chapter 58, verse 6. I have not chosen such a fast, saith the Lord, but do thou... But do thou loose every burden of iniquity, do thou untie the knots of hard bargains, set the bruised free, and cancel every unjust account. Quote. Now again, since Yeshua was most most likely quoting from the LXX, from the Septuagint, I like to think that we have what we have here is as we're looking at it is actually a double application, which amounts to a play on words. Now stay with me, because I might lose you if you don't follow carefully. Now, keep in mind, his listeners would have immediately recognized the Messianic phrase, quote, the Spirit of Adonai is upon me. Now, again, Yeshua isn't just merely speaking his words to the uh, the the um, crowd that day, those who were in the synagogue. He's quoting from the text. So, let's turn over to Isaiah. Let's go to chapter 61. Now, well, let me pause. Um keep in mind that we just read Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 where it says the spirit of Adonai will rest on him. Now let's jump over to Isaiah 61 I'm in uh, David Stern's version again and the very first passage of Isaiah 61 reads quote the spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me because Adonai has anointed me to know it's good news to the poor etc. Now Yeshua starts by saying the spirit of Adonai is upon me did you guys catch that? Now, especially since the passage is found within the Masoretic text, the phrase from yeshuahu 61 reads, just as I read it, The Spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me. Did you see that? The Spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me. The title for Hashem, Elohim, is not found in the Septuagint. That's my point. Look at the Septuagint quote again above. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But if you look at the Masoretic text, it says the spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me. There's a word that's been removed from the uh, from the Septuagint version as it captures down into the uh, Greek. So, it, it's not found in the Septuagint, and likewise it's not used by Yeshua here in Luke. The Luke passage that I'm quoting, remember? I'm, I'm starting in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Let me just turn again there as well, in my Bible here. Luke chapter sixteen and oops, am I in the right one? Maybe I got the wrong one. Give me a second here. I'm sorry. Luke verse four. Luke chapter four verse sixteen. That was in chapter sixteen. Sorry about that. Luke chapter four. Here we are. Starting in verse uh 16 is, you know, it's described now he went to Nazareth. he'd been brought up on, on Sabbath. But actually, verse 18 is the direct quote. Quote, the spirit of Adonai is upon me. Now, those of you who have um, a Bible that shows, like in the margin, a little footnote that shows where the reference is, is quote, quoting from, um, will notice that it says Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. I happen to have David Stern's version, and what he does whenever there's a direct quote or, or a very close one uh, from a passage in the Tanakh, David Stern will simply bold it. He'll put it in bold writing. And then he'll put the little footnote number, like, like you find in most Bibles, the small little alphabet number. And then down at the bottom of David Stern's page you can see where the footnote uh, address goes to. And in this case, verse 18 of chapter 4 of Luke says, The Spirit of Adonai is upon me. And sure enough... You get down to the bottom, you read verse 18 and 19, and there is a little footnote that says letter, letter N. And I look down at letter N, and it says Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, as well as 58, 6. And so again, I go back to the Masoretic text, I turn back, if you're in David Stern's version, Luke 4, verse 18 is on page 1294, and then you turn over to Isaiah 61, verse 1, it's on page 533, and that's knock nah. And you look at the Masoretic text, and it says, The Spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me. And so then you go look again at Luke and you look again at Isaiah and you realize that it's close. Therefore he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He's anointed me. to it's good news to the poor. I'm looking back and forth. However, there's a word missing. Okay, that's where we want to go. The title here for Hashem, again, Elohim, is not found in the Septuagint and is likewise not used by Yeshua here in Luke. So I believe that Yeshua might have even been hinting at the Isaiah 11 passage. Because look again at Isaiah 11. Look at the wording. Let me go back again. in My passage here. Isaiah 11, verse number 2. The spirit of Adonai will rest upon him. It just says the spirit of Adonai. It doesn't say the spirit of Adonai Elohim. So I believe that possibly, uh, uh, um, Yeshua being familiar with the uh, uh, Isaiah 11 passage, is possibly hinting at it and maybe even simultaneously tying it into the, the Isaiah 61 passage, kind of kind of using both of them, bouncing off of one another. After all, the Isaiah 11 passage, as well as the Isaiah 61 passage, both of them are in fact Messianic passages. Both of them are recognized as Messianic passages by Jewish and Christian scholars alike. Both passages would have been ripe for a Midrash from Yeshua. Amen? Amen. So, in other words, perhaps Yeshua wanted his um, listeners to realize that he is the Mashiach, the Anointed One of both passages. I don't think I'm stretching the story here too much. But what of the reference to seven? Because that's where I started out. After all, we are in Parashat Behalotcha, and I'm talking about the menorah which has seven branches. Where am I going with this, Ariel? Get to your point already. I will. Let's look at the last book of the Chadashal, of the Apostolic Scriptures. Um, okay, let's go to Revelation real quick, and then I'm going to tie it all together for you. In Revelation 5, verse 6, our visionary, Yochanan, John, is given a glimpse of the heavenly throne. And in this vision, what does he see? Well, he sees a lamb who appears to have been slaughtered. And if you notice the description of the lamb, it's actually quite peculiar. It's got seven horns. And seven eyes. That's a strange looking lamb, if you ask me. The scripture tells us, if we look at Re- uh, Revelation, that the that these seven are representative of the sevenfold spirit of God. The sevenfold spirit of God? What's that all about? Whence do we find the seven f- spirits of God in the Bible? Where do we ever read that? You guys ever remembering about the seven spirits of God? Well, maybe if we go back to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's look at that again. The spirit of Adonai will rest upon him, number one. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, two and three. The spirit of counsel and power, four and five. The spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai, six and seven. Did you see it there? The spirit is described as a total of seven yet laid out in a pattern of one. There's only one spirit, of course. But what we've got is a pattern that seems to be very similar to what the menorah is described as. We've got a pattern of one with three pairs of two along with it. Okay. So does this pattern look familiar to you now? It is the very same pattern that the menorah was fashioned into, one central branch. And three pairs of, of 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 branches coming in, and uh, and the, and the the branches coming into the central shaft are connected to each other. The seven branched lamp consisted of one central shaft with three pairs surrounding it. Now, what if we were to take the menorah? Okay, imagine you've got this menorah in your hand. Okay, one center branch, three on one on the left of the center branch, three on the right of the center branch, viz. a total of seven. Take this and just turn it on the top. Look. Look straight down on the menorah. So you're not looking at the branches. You're just looking straight down at the tops, all right? Focusing on just the top of the structure, let me just fill in letters in the the assignment of the places reading right to left or left to right. doesn't matter. Um, This following algebraic equation, as it were, will demonstrate its pattern, okay? Reading right to left or left to right, it doesn't matter. We've got D, C, B, A, B, C, D. Are you following me? A in the uh, in the in the alphabetic numbers there, or the algebraic equation, A represents the center lamp. B and B on the left and the right of A represent the first pair. C and C on the left and right uh, represent the second pair, and then D and D on the left and right represent the third. So we've got this pattern of seven, but it's really comprised of a center lamp with the three pairs on to the left and three pairs to the right. I think we call this a kiostic structure. Um, where we have a um, a balance or a, a, a symmetry uh, between the two, okay? If we're like, kind of like a mirror representation, where the mirror is like sh- straight down the middle of the letter A, and then it's a mirror image on either side. This is representative of the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, notice I didn't say s- I didn't say seven spirits. I said sevenfold spirit of God. God demonstrates His ways to us in in, 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 in in pictures and patterns that we can't fully always comprehend. However, um, this is the description given to Yeshua. So, we must understand that this was uh, uh, John's picture when he sees the Lamb. It does say, remember it wasn't I that made this phrase up, it was John who said this. And of course, John is speaking under the Spirit of Yeshua when he says, I saw a Lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. And these are the sevenfold, this is the sevenfold Spirit of God. Let me go ahead and turn to that passage real quick in Revelation. This time I'm going to read it out of uh, the KJV. Let me pull it up again. Where did I have it? It is Revelation 5, 6... And out of the KJV, it reads, "quote and be, and I be, and this is John speaking, obviously. And I behold and and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. So, um, again, we, we see that John is describing this lamb this way. Yeshua is the lamb who was slain. We know." That, to be sure, we don't have to guess. We're talking about the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. We're trying to figure out what that is. Now, we already understand that the spirit, represented by the oil in our menorah picture, gave the lamp its light. The menorah was not an electric menorah. Okay? I'm sorry. We're a little too early for that. Likewise, just get the idea out of your mind that there were candles up there for the priest to light. There were no candles either. We're talking about little lamps, okay? Um, and we're going to talk about these little lamps later on down in my commentary, but for now, the oil in the lamp gave the uh, the menorah its light. Yeshua, if he is the menorah, he likewise was empowered or anointed by the oil of the Spirit. Obviously, Yeshua is our model. If Yeshua was illuminated or uh, empowered by the light of the Spirit, uh, of the spirit within him, then we can do no better. We must imitate the master. As his disciples, we must also have the oil of the spirit within us. If we are to be a light in this dark world, everyone, of course, agrees with me. Our current parasha instructs who? Am Yisrael to make sure that the menorah faced the priest properly. In the first few verses, that's what it talks about. As we're going to see, this perfectly describes our Messiah whose spirit continually shines it continually faces the father in divine intercession yes if it not we were not for yeshua constantly facing the father constantly approaching our heavenly abba on our behalf then we would be found lacking we would have no place in god's kingdom the Messiah is our intercession, is our interceder, he, he is, he's our intermediator, he is, he's our great high priest. He intercedes for us, and therefore he faces the Father on our behalf. He is able to face the Father because he shares the same nature as the Father. We cannot see the Father. In fact, Yeshua said when they asked him, show us the Father, and what did Yeshua say to him? I've been with I'm paraphrasing obviously, I've been with you so long and you're asking me to see the Father? I'm telling you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we know that Yeshua is the face of the Father, and that Yeshua faces the Father. Moreover, His face, and let me just close with this on part A the face of the Son should continually shine upon our face for the entire world to see. Amen. Amen. It's about. 37 minutes into the commentary, I'm going to call this part A, and uh, we're on the top of page 4. When we return, we are in Parashat Beha'alotaka. We're going to talk about the menorah. We're talking about the menorah now, but we're going to continue talking about it. We're going to get into the fascinating world of equidistant letter spacing. We're going to ask ourselves a question. Are there hidden codes in the Torah? Stick around to find out.